You're listening to the Simply Flawsome Show, a podcast designed for you to listen, learn, and leverage. Please welcome your host, Zoe Turner. Awesome podcast today is coming to you from Rove Hotel in Dubai Marina. I'm very excited to announce our new partnership with Rove and thank them for the support for this episode and for future episodes. So we've now entered season two and this episode is all about celebrating incredible women. I'm very excited to speak to today's guest. I've seen her around on the event circuit for the last few years, and she uses confidence, charm, and charisma. So I'm really looking forward to chatting to her today to find out about her journey, any struggles along the way, and how she has overcome them. And as with all my episodes, the underlying theme today is mental health. Who is she? She is an entrepreneur, a communication strategist, TV and radio presenter who helps small businesses take their message to the world. So without further ado, let's welcome Anna Al... Sorry, I've... That's all right, just, just Anna Roberts. Anna Roberts, that's... Totally that's fine, okay. yeah. Anna Roberts to the show. Thank you. What an introduction. <laughs> Amazing. So Anna, for selfish reasons, I said this to you at the beginning, and I'm really interested in speaking to you today because... Your area of specialism is a subject that absolutely fascinates me. Mm, and me it's too. quite pertinent to my journey at the moment. So for the, the listeners, can you just explain what a communication strategist is and why it's important? So it's probably a title that maybe you haven't come across uh, before. Communication is all around us. It's how we operate as humans. It's how we make lasting relationships. It's how we form business partnerships. It's how we share ourselves with the world. And often because it is so part and parcel of who we are as humans, it's taken for granted. And um, I think the... Uh, sort of um, the underlying message that I like to get across to people is we are born as natural communicators. You know, we may cry when we are children and we try to vocalize and express ourselves. But as we get older and as we go through life, and especially in the last decade with the tech disruption that we've had, our voice gets squashed down and down and down. And so all of a sudden, we're really not using our voice to communicate. We're using um, our keyboards on our mobile phones to send tweets or direct messages or write emails. People will avoid picking up the phone to have a conversation or even be face-to-face like we are right now and, and talk to each other. And I wanted to really use a lot of the frameworks that I had learned at university where I studied and and majored in communication and in broadcasting to bring back a structure, a framework and a way of of allowing people to express themselves, to have more confidence about exactly what they want to say, how they want to say it, how they want to drive action in the world, be that in their relationships or more so my focus has been obviously on on business and entrepreneurship. And I allow people to use these frameworks as sort of the the science part, the the proven methodology of communication, but also to understand that communication is also an art form as well. It's hugely creative. It's highly contextual. And that's probably what fascinates me about communication so much is that by stringing a few letters together to form a word and then that word becomes a vocalization from us, we can use words and tone and pitch and tempo and rhythm in so many different ways to create a story, uh, to create excitement, to create sadness. And, and I love the, the scope that that offers us as, as humans to be able to connect more. 
website, you say that, and you've just said here, that we're born natural communicators. But over time, this becomes distilled because of fear. Would you expand on this? So fear is really interesting, and it's um, been with me a lot through my whole life. As a child, I was labelled very sensitive. I, I think as I sort of express this with a lot of people, a lot of a lot of people then say, "Oh, that sounds like me as well." And I I hated being labelled as sensitive. Um, I prefer reactive. Um, that's my own sort of spin on it. But but I was somebody that would jump at the the sound of a loud noise or I would be afraid of speaking up for fear of uh, somebody telling me, no, that's not right, that sort of perfectionism angle. I would be afraid of expressing my true feelings um, because I didn't want to hurt anyone else. So I would put myself sort of in second place in order to make sure that everybody else was protected. And I found myself just becoming more and more quiet. And, and it was fear-based. It was fear of what other people thought, fear of uh, what other people's actions, you know, may may sort of take or, or may do as a result of, of me communicating. And going through university, that was also very hard because even though I was studying communication, I was fascinated with the academia. I also was alongside people who were natural extroverts um, and, and who would love being in the spotlight and who would get this this energy and excitement from being on stage or in front of the camera. And I, even though I enjoyed those experiences, I wasn't really at home. But it's sort of the 10,000 hours aspect of being able to do it so much that you just get used to it and you do it as a second nature. And that's been a lot of my career. But there was always this underlying fear, this worry of, oh, Am I good enough? Do I have enough to share with the world? Am I wasting people's time? And I got to the point where... I started to really question, I think, a lot of where this fear had come from. I, I sort of, in my mid-twenties, had, had quite a journey of self-discovery and self-development and read a lot of books by Louise Hay, um, Marianne Williamson, Brene Brown. You know, these are names that have been around for quite some time um, and and come with them a legacy of, of thought and discovery of people being able to change their lives based on their work. And for me, that was very much it, to be able to understand that a lot of the times when I had stopped and second and guessed myself, that was born out of fear that I had manifested myself based mm -hmm. on presuppositions that I had I'd made about the outside world. And when I stopped and was able to internally inquire about that a lot more, I started to realize that I couldn't live my life in fear anymore. Um, I, I've lost um, friends and, and family members, as we all have. It is a part of life that we have to accept, which is that there is only one certainty in life, and, and that is that it will end for all of us at some point in time. And having that realization that life is so precious and living under this cloud of fear, it was very clear for me to then understand that I had to take control of my life. I had to take control of the fear, not eliminate it completely from my life, but I had to understand exactly what was triggering it and more importantly, what I could do to, to move through it and not ignore it completely. When you, when you analysed it, what did you find what it was? I know you just shared some of it with us, mm. but I'm sure it goes a lot deeper than that too. What was it that triggered the fear for you? So I think a lot of my fears around uh, communication and broadcasting, for example, when I was still studying or studying out my career in radio was about the fact that um, I, I had a fear of naturally wanting to express myself and my opinion. I um, would want to sort of toe the line to be very magnolia paint and to say the right thing to everyone and not have anybody uh, oppose or or um, 
be thought of as, as silly or ridiculous. So how were you raised? Were you raised in quite a strict family? Uh, I wouldn't say strict. Um, my parents are hardworking. Were you encouraged to be expressive and a free thinker? Absolutely. We would um, always have dinner around the dinner table where we would share our um, our day-to-day you know, happenings and what had gone on. But I think that the real sort of crux of a lot of my fear was based around my introversion and um, a desire to not necessarily want to go out and socialize and having that confusion about why did I feel like I didn't want to go out and be amongst a crowd of people and why was it exhausting to me and why did I want to stay at home when all of my friends and all of my family wanted to go out and socialize and having that sort of internal friction um, was very confusing for sort of the first part of my life until I realized that I was an introvert and all of a sudden I could put a label on it have greater understanding and therefore be able to manage it far better. It's really interesting because I shared with you um, before we started that one of the reasons I started this podcast, one of the reasons, um, it was because I don't, I've never liked the sound of my own voice. No one does. (laughs) (laughs) So I kind of thought set, you know, starting this podcast would be a really good way to challenge me. But alongside that, it's not just the sound of my own voice. There's kind of areas around kind of like confidence and communication and being able to express myself in the way that I wanted to express myself and to sound how I, you know, to sound sound kind of proud of myself when I listen to it back and I still really cringe I've only just started listening to these podcasts back the earlier podcasts like I wouldn't listen to Um, but the last few podcasts I have and that's really useful for me because it enables me to think right I need to work on that area but don't you feel so much more empowered now from being able to recognize I don't want to listen to it because I don't like the sound of my own voice and then starting to work through it making small incremental changes and now you're at the point where you're like ah I recognize I need to do that and all of a sudden you have that learning experience and you have that form of expression where you're able to put your creativity and your thought into the world and that for me is so empowering do you feel the same yeah I do feel really empowering 100 percent there's also a desire in me that just wants to get better and better and better season one when I started it um I recorded like 21 episodes 19 of them were uploaded two of them the audio wasn't too good and then as we've approached into season two and I'm interviewing um you know incredible ladies I just wanted to up my game a little bit so it got to the point where I was kind of like right Um, so it got to the point where I was just like right I need to start making improvements here Mm -hmm. I need to start um you know so I was thinking about maybe enrolling in acting classes sure um is there any tips that you could give and I guess this is not just about me because there's probably going to be so many people listening to this who experience what I experience and who feel kind of the same fears um that I do around kind of communication public speaking etc so is there any kind of like quick tips that you can recommend that we could do uh, quite quickly, like maybe before like I have a guest that come on, mm-hmm. rather than something that takes kind of like, I don't know, like a couple of months 
well, work. I think, I think something that y- you can do instantly is to flip the focus from yourself and your voice and your abilities mm-hmm. at whatever level that may be and flip that to focus on your audience. What is it that they yeah. want to hear? What value are you yeah. going to give them? Because time is our most precious commodity. Mm-hmm. And whether you're standing up on stage or recording this podcast as we are, creating a vlog series, how do you want to respect and engage with your audience? Because they're the ones that are going to be viewing it. They're going to be taking time, whether it's a minute, 10 or an hour, out of their day to dedicate to you and the work that you've done. So what are you giving to them? And as soon as you prioritize them, and this is the basis of all multimedia, whether you're on radio, TV, or any of those big mm-hmm. you know, traditional entities, what is it that you're giving to your audience? Because you've got to make that time count. And it, as soon as you make that instant switch, all of a sudden you realize – I don't want to wing this anymore because I I want to put in the time and effort because I respect them. I respect their time um, and I respect the fact that I want to get better at this. But what can I give them of great value? That means they're going to come back for more and they're going to stay on this journey with me. I hate hearing people who will have a a public speaking event and uh, they'll think to themselves, oh, Yep, I, I've done a few little presentations. Okay, this one's for a thousand people. So, yep, I'll just, I'll get up there and I'll figure it out when I'm up on stage. Not only is that a, a terrible idea, because, you know, if you were running a marathon, 42 kilometers, you wouldn't necessarily just stand up, run out the door and, and head out for 42 kilometers. You would do, uh, you know, a 12K, uh, a, a 12 week build up and, and, you know, add your kilometers every week. You'd get a support crew around you at certain rest stops. You'd make sure that you had that muscle memory and that cadence and you had that rhythm and that tempo so that your body just went into autopilot. And public speaking, the, the mechanics of actually vocalizing or gesturing or anything like that are all a physical response. They're all physical actions. And if you don't have the muscle memory for it, it's going to be really hard to to pull that when you're up on stage, under the lights, looking at everybody in person. So approach it as you would a marathon. Prepare, respect the people around you, respect your race organizers, you know, so to speak, and, and make sure that you make it count, not only for you, but more so for the audience as well. Yeah, yeah, I can completely relate to that about giving value. And I also think as well that when your focus is on giving value, um, it's not on yourself. No. And you, in a in a way, kind of, we can internalize things a lot and it can become quite a selfish yeah. attribute. Like, oh my God, does, does my voice sound good enough? Or, oh, I'm saying that, I'm saying so too many times or whatever. But the more that you don't focus on yourself and you focus on the value that you give, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it kind of just takes the attention away, yeah. which um, which is quite liberating within itself. Yeah, and another empowering aspect is just being able to make that mental flip. Mm. And then all of a sudden you're like, right, I'm, I'm here for a reason because – I'm very much a believer in um, in training and teaching people how to respect you or or how to interact with you. And if you say, oh, I just have a small podcast, it's just a little passion project, it's just something that I'm doing on the side, you know, I'm not really taking it seriously. How do you expect anybody else to take you seriously? And that was one of my first lessons in business is if I don't take myself seriously, how do I expect clients or big multinationals to put down big money against my name and against my methodology? I have to back myself first. You spoke earlier about the 10,000 hours uh, rule. Um, So there's a saying um, that if you do something for 10,000 hours that you become consciously competent. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So how 
how long did it take before you, it kind of clicked in you that you thought, yeah, I've got this. I'm really, really comfortable with it. Would that be in terms of my business? Sorry, radio? I'm spe- specifically <laughs> talking about presenting and communicate, communication in terms of kind of like, you know, maybe public speaking, presenting. I think a lot of that is also contextual because um, – with anything that you create, there is always a team. It's never done individually. So whether it's a radio program with a producer and a full tech team or a co-host as well, uh, whether it's a, a live broadcast from uh, you know a huge sporting event, there are so many people that go into to making it a success. And you can learn from every one of them um, because often they'll they will come with so much more experience than you necessarily have as, as just the presenter, for example. But a lot of my learnings obviously took place at university. And then um, a lot of that was not necessarily the on-the-job training, but it was the, the mindset. Because communication, as I see it, are broken down into th- sort of three waves. You've got the intrapersonal communication or the inner dialogue, the interpersonal communication, like you and I talking now, and then that mass communication where you're broadcasting in a one-way uh, direction to a, a mass audience. So be that over TV or radio where you can't necessarily have that feedback from from the audience in, in real time. And being able to recognize and really work on my intrapersonal communication meant that I was in a solid frame of mind to receive feedback and criticism, which you often get quite directly and quite harshly in broadcasting, um, whether you're on live or pre-recorded, um, whether your voice is sounding um, like like, you know, CRAP, um, you, you get told that straight away or whether, you know, you're not looking great on camera, you get told that straight away. So you very quickly learn to settle your mind, to be able to hear that feedback, to be able to take it on board in the right way, control your emotions and then be able to deliver either that interpersonal or that mass communication. And so I'd say that far more of my training was spent doing more of that so that I could stay stable and then do a better job when I was on camera in front of the microphone, which I guess is probably not the answer that you were expecting because everything happens on the job, but a lot of broadcasting takes a long time to be created. You know, if we're uh, putting together even uh, a three or four minute, um, a little uh, short, you know, documentary, that's days in planning and days in shooting as well, and then days in post-production. So nothing happens quickly because everything is planned and thought about and, and takes the audience into consideration what about vocal um kind of like singing lessons is this something that you've had is this something that that you've that you've had to um that, that you had in the early parts of your journey or anything like that? Not at all. And my no. husband can attest to that because I'm a terrible <laughs> singer. Um, e- even though I, I believe that I have certain qualities that yeah. still haven't been, um, uh, you know, had the ears tuned into yet. I'm, I'm sure that there will be a gap for me one day on, on top of the pops. Um, I'm not a huge believer in, in acting classes or, uh, drama classes or singing classes. And, and the reason is, is one, I've never had them. Um, uh, two, I, also believe that in order to authentically communicate with people, you have to use your natural born talents and, and abilities. And that is how your voice naturally sounds, um, be that uh, if you have an accent or a lisp or anything like that. I certainly have a lisp. Um, I've gone through full facial reconstruction in my mid-20s, so I had to learn how to speak again from scratch. My voice changed. I had to relearn how to speak. And I did that using very simple tools like the Rainbow Passage that I would record on my phone and then play back to myself. And and that, again, was part of the 10,000 hours, the stuff that you don't see on camera. It was working um, on my allocu- allocution, on my delivery, on my ability to slow down, to use 
pitch and tempo and tone and, and rhythm to be able to create a story and to be able to create um, uh, a sense of drawing the listener into my voice because I am telling a story or delivering something. And I did that all on my own. It wasn't necessarily that time in front of the camera. And, and again, I am not an, a natural uh, thespian. I'm not a natural dramatic. I think that there are certainly aspects of it that you can take. But if I'm to sit here and talk to you naturally, this is the way that I sound naturally. If all of a sudden I was talking to you in a voice where I was delivering a story and understanding exactly, you know, as a storyteller would, would say – all of a sudden, I don't sound natural. I, I sound almost performed, like I've got a spotlight on me. And and that is, is great for a lot of people, but it's really hard to keep up. So if you're doing an hour-long interview or a three-hour-long broadcast, heavens, I, you know, I couldn't imagine being anyone but myself for that long a period of time. And how are you supposed to get your audience to trust you if they think that you sound a little bit rigid and, and a little bit like an actor? I know. Um, when people look at you and they see that the level of success that you've attained. Thank you. In terms I of appreciate like, that. Your, <laughs> in terms of like your own business, you know, you've got you've got your own talk show on the radio. I do. Yeah. Um, a lot of people just assume that your journey has been very easy. <laughs> you mentioned something earlier about facial reconstruction. So yep. can you just take us back and? Give um, give us a little bit of insight into your journey along the way. Any challenges you faced? Goodness me, um, we'd probably be here all day if I were to list out the challenges. But to to sort of be direct, I fell into communication studies in the beginning because my father recommended that I study communication studies at university. Um, went along, didn't really know a lot of what I was doing until I ended up having um, a paper called Media Production Workshop and fell in love with the editing process. I never had visions of me being in front of the spotlight, TV or, or microphone, but uh, lo and behold, a lot of the connections I made transpired that that I ended up sort of um, having these opportunities. And, and as Oprah says, you know, we're luck and, and preparation, uh, where opportunity and preparation is that's how you create your own luck. She says it far more eloquently than I do. Um, and I graduated top of my class. I did everything that was expected of me at university. I got all the internships and everything, but I graduated in December of 2008, which was the global financial crisis. So no one was hiring. Um, so I decided, okay, I'm, I'm going to go where there are jobs. And I hopped on a one-way ticket to France and I worked on private motor yachts all around the world, scrubbing toilets, literally for billionaires. So I got to see a, a side of humans that a lot of people, I guess, don't get access to. I got to see people in their natural comfort zones who are put on a pedestal in business and, and in society when in reality they are just humans and and we as humans and our condition and experiences um, it's not something that you can escape regardless of of how many zeros you've got in your bank account and I sort of had a, a bit of a light bulb moment where I realized that um, there is far more that we are joined by as humans um, than, than what separates us. And sort of having that simple acknowledgement, I realize that we are all humans and we can all have connections in, in some way or another. It might be easier or harder to make it depending on the person. I ended up back in Dubai in 2010 because I, I grew up here and I moved back to New Zealand for university. So I came back in 2010 um, and, and worked, you know, for, for quite some time. Um, and during that time, I 
had gone to the dentist, which had always been something that had troubled me as a, as a child. I'd always had um, difficulty with overcrowding and braces, and it's probably a story that a lot of people can recognize. But I was diagnosed at 25 as having something called long face syndrome. And basically, um, my face was growing down, and it was just a very long, narrow face, nothing that would probably look anything too, too out of place. You know, I, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't Quasimodo, for example, but, but I had a long, narrow face and things sort of weren't correcting themselves as I, I got older. I was diagnosed with this and, and also with a lot of bone recession because my face was growing down and so I was losing a lot of bone. And the doctor said, if you don't do anything about this, by the time you're in your thirties, you'll probably lose all of your teeth. And, and, that was very scary, but also very empowering because I knew I had the ability to do something about it. Um, over the next three years, I had five surgeries. They reconstructed my face from um, my cheeks down to my chin. They took bone from my skull and rebuilt my jaw. I have a lot of metal plates um, in there now, but they basically rebuilt my my face from from scratch um, and and extracted seven teeth so the lower part of my mouth is a full bridge so I've sort of been through been through everything dental wise that you can go through um, and and off the back of that um, also had full burnout at work and and decided that it was time to sort of act on this idea that I had had of setting up accessible communication training for entrepreneurs and for people in that sort of first 10 years of their career um, and to give them those soft skills that I had had and I had learned in those frameworks that I had used uh, day in, day out on the radio and, and empower them with that knowledge as well, which I didn't feel that they had access to. What did this, these experiences, um, what did they teach you about life? Is there oh. any particular lesson in there that you extracted from that? Yeah, a huge amount. You know, things can seem uh, overwhelming. They can seem unfair a lot of the time um, when in actual fact, we are all going through hardships and it's far easier to point out somebody's success and say, oh, they were just gifted that or, oh, they were at the right time, right place. It's not about hard work or anything like that. And to be honest, there's been a lot of my competitors or people who are my peers in my industry who I thought, mm. I think I deserve that more than they did, or I wish that that would have been me. And and we are humans. We are allowed to feel that. But at the same time, it is our response that um, allows us to either be empowered by a situation or have our power taken away from us. And all of a sudden, when you have that simple approach to events around you, you're able to take a moment, take a breather, see things for what they are, and then act on them. Um, and I'm a big believer in in failures teaching us something and about failing forward. Because um, I'm I'm a big believer in, in crying and, and having a moan and just, you know, being able to have a mope. But it's not about the event. It's not about that failure, so to speak. It's about how we move on from there. And I really think that that is what has taught me to have a, a sort of a sense of, um, as my mom would say, it's stoicism or stoic uh, view on a lot of things and also be able to um, build that resilience as well because I I was then two years into my business when I found out that I was pregnant with twins um, and they don't have a manual for that and I've figured it out along the way and I've had a lot of support in order to do that and and I'm also very impatient and, and patience is something that I'm learning as a mother and as a business owner as well and Life is a process, yeah. Um, I think taking that time out for myself, though, as an introvert has really been able to settle me. Let's talk about your family. How have you managed to juggle the challenges of raising twins yeah. <laughs> um, alongside having your own business, but also kind of working on the radio? So the business definitely had to pivot. Um, it's undeniable. I couldn't do the one-on-one -on -one training. Uh, my energy levels, just as I got pregnant, I... Oh, 
there's one over there. That's all right. I'm all right for the minute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, my energy levels as I got pregnant, you know, definitely started to wane. So I had to recognize that either I had three options. I shut down the business completely and figure out maybe picking it up in five years. I could put a pause on the business and maybe get somebody else to take it over and that kind of thing. But that was starting to become very messy in my head. And then the third aspect was, okay, what tools do I have at my disposal? I can digitize everything and be able to scale my business successfully um, because I don't have hours to put into clients face to face. Is this where the fear detox came in? Fear detox came in a little bit later because I was able to obviously digitize my business, um, had the boys. Will you tell us about the fear detox? Yeah. Fear detox. So the fear detox is what I wrote while I was breastfeeding my boys. And as I mentioned, I'd gone through a journey in my mid-20s of a lot of self-discovery and a lot of um, focus on being able to, to really understand who I was as a person. And a lot of those tools that I use sort of came out naturally when I was trying to understand and acknowledge this new path that I was on as a mother. So I was still breastfeeding my boys. I was still in New Zealand. They were six weeks old. And I just started to collate a lot of resources for, for myself about um, uh, self-limiting beliefs and enabling beliefs and being able to write affirmations and just going back to that framework that had helped me through a lot of my jewelry construction and dealing with burnout and, and a lot of personal issues that I'd been able to overcome and, and work through either on my own or also with other support, uh, be that counselors or therapists, which I'm extremely open to and encourage everyone to, to seek that, that type of guidance and support through their journeys. And I started to just put this together as a sort of a two week day by day, you know, let's get my mental attitude sorted. I couldn't do anything about the boy's sleep schedule. I couldn't do anything about my body, but what I could control was my mind. And so really starting to work on myself and focus on that self-care, you know, that real form of self-care, not the face masks and the bubble bath kind of self-care. And I put together the sphere detox just based on these tools. And I thought, oh, cool. Okay. This is 14 days. And I thought, I'm going to put it out there. I want to feel productive. I want to feel like I still have a touch on my business and, and I want to see who else it can help. So I put it up there as a bit of a PDF. The response that I got was overwhelming. People from South Africa and France and Russia and Hong Kong picked up the fear detox and said, oh my God, I've been waiting for something like this. And I said, oh, wow, okay, you've gotten something out of it as well. That's really interesting. And it just sort of snowballed from there. Um, I'm actually about to launch it in the coming months towards the end of this year as um, a, a fully-fledged book and journal so that you can do the fair detox wherever you are in the world. There's also going to be a second edition coming out um, focused on the workplace and workplace communication. So at the moment, as it stands, the fair detox is, it's a course, it's an online course. It's, uh, it's actually going to be a book. So you you can purchase it whether you're in England, Australia, the United States, purchase it on Amazon um, and it will arrive at your doorstep and there will be a, a course to come and it will be expanded on at a later date. But for the moment, the book will be launched as a sort of self-discovery, uh, a self-use tool for the end of this year. And then and then we'll kick off with some exciting new stuff coming up that at the start of really next year. exciting. Yeah. I look forward to that. Thank you. I'm excited to re-release my baby to the world. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about your journey with Pulse Radio? So Pulse was really interesting. The boys were only six months old and I, I got a message to say um, we need some help with our news department and with current affairs for a new radio station that's starting in the UAE. And I thought, oh, wow, this is, you know, this is really interesting, but, you know, 
Pulse is about two years old, am I right? It's a year and a half or okay. so. Yeah, so it was launched in, in May of 2018. And I thought, okay, maybe I can um, consult and, you know, do something on the side. The boys are starting to get a little bit older. I wanted to get more involved in work. And I very much, you know, I, I like that um, feeling of, of channeling my energy and, and my mind into something. And... I met with them. Uh, lo and behold, they they needed help also with producing and with presenting and things like that. And so I sort of signed on board in early 2018. Um, and it's turned into be one of the most incredible and rewarding experiences in radio that I've ever had. I have one of the most supportive, if not the most supportive boss that I think I'll ever have in my career, um, who recognizes my commitments as a mother, um, a whole team who also recognizes my experience, um, who have asked me to help out with the news department, with uh, producing, with presenting, with a lot of post-production. And being multi-skilled has has meant that I've really been able to draw from um, my arsenal, my toolkit as a broadcaster. And and more importantly, being able to train the next generation of broadcasters because we have a lot of students from AUS, American University of Sharjah, who um, have graduated in media and have never been given opportunities before. And I remember the people that were instrumental to my success in those early days, and I want to pay it forward to them. So it's been a an incredible experience um we're relaunching masafa in the city which is my show it's going to be out and about in charger it's a vlog radio documentary style and i'm really excited to bring something new to the market tell us a little bit more about your show itself yeah so masafa in arabic um means a traveler or or um or somebody who's on a journey and so my journey is is literally going out of the studio and and taking in the sights the sounds the events of charger because my belief is that um we as Pulse95 obviously have our, our studios and they're beautiful and state of the art, but essentially they could be anywhere in the world. How do we know that Sharjah is different? It's just been named as one of the top five cultural capitals of uh, the world as well. And with this sort of new renaissance that the Emirate is undergoing with accessible um, uh, tourism, culture, education, innovation, it really is um, starting to gain a lot of traction. And I wanted to capture a lot of that through multimedia, through either the video series or also through radio and so I get to go outside with a mobile studio sort of like what you've got here and talk to people and experience places and be able to tell a story be that through the radio or, or through video as well and so I, I'm at a really really um, uh, just you know grateful point in, in my career professionally in, in the radio and then also through the business as well helping people with their communication strategies really interesting. I had uh, one of the other presenters, uh, Omar Albus. Albus, who has now um, put his academic cap on and is uh, in, in the States. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Crazy. Anna, there's lots of women all over the world who don't have the same opportunities as we've, as we've been given. Mm-hmm. Um, is there any one bit of advice to any woman who would like to achieve something but she feels is something stopping them and holding her back is there any one bit of advice that you could give so the one bit of advice uh would be definitely fair detox um but if i was to take it back and distill it even further than that it would be choices um and the ability to empower yourself by looking at your choices 
it won't happen overnight necessarily and we don't have all of the same choices and opportunities as you rightly said so. But if you have an opportunity to help somebody else or if you have the opportunity to say to no to something that you don't want to do or to be able to uh, go down a, a road and a path and a journey that nobody else around you has, that deep longing, desire and passion, you know, that that intuition, which I think is so strong in all of us, to be able to to build on that, to be able to to allow that to, to have the volume turned up on it a little bit more and, and to make that choice for yourself is is one of the most empowering decisions that you'll ever make for yourself or for another person as well. Um, and I very much uh, along the same lines as you recognize the privilege that I have working in radio and being able to be on stage. And and my dream is to be able to help, help everyone um, around the world, be it men or women, to be able to find their voice and, and give them the ability to create a platform for themselves. Anna, thank you. Do you have any specific routines on a morning, like any morning routine? Apart from my children always waking up before me. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I've sort of thrown away the idea of, of the picture perfect morning or routine. There are certain things that I love to do. I love to have my coffee. Um, I love to connect with my parents in New Zealand because they're obviously nine hours ahead of me. Um, I, I love having the time with my boys before I drop them off at nursery. And so for me at the present moment, those are my sort of routines. But with kids and, and with a business um, and, and with all of the commitments that we have in life nothing for me is necessarily routine day in day out and those are my little sort of touch points that I try and always hit every single morning some days are better than others but yeah any kind of affirmations or breathing exercise I'm actually anything? I'm working on my breathing still post having the children my diaphragm has been completely up the wazoo so I'm working on my breathing but um one sort of line that always has resonated with me for probably the last 10 years is this too shall pass. Um, the, the good times won't be there forever and the bad times won't either. Sometimes those bad times will feel like they're lasting for a little bit longer than they did the last time. Um, I certainly have gone through uh, just a, a period of a lot of change and transition in the last three months trying to launch summer school and trying to finish the fear detox and um, my boys teething and Tell things like that. Tell us a little bit about summer school. So summer school was a campaign that I wanted to use to relaunch the website, which um, has just gone through a brand new makeover. Check it out. I'd love your feedback on it. Um, and I wanted to, to just get people to be able to experience um, my support and my ability in a, in a high-touch um, uh, online group coaching um, uh, program and summer school was sort of the catchy campaign name that I gave to it and and by by all accounts it was um, extremely uh, successful I had over 25 people from all around the world sign up from um, Australia through to Switzerland the Maldives uh, Canada the United States and it's basically six weeks of uh, doing any of my online programs public speaking media training personal branding or workplace communication and I support them through every week of the journey with um, case studies information and very high touch support so that they they can get me as a communication strategist, but for the price of, of an online program. So it's far more affordable for a lot of people out there to do it that way. Um, and it means that I get to reach far more people. Interesting. Hmm. Um, that kind of leads us on to my next question, which is about mentors. How yeah. important are mentors to you? And has there been any specific person over the years that, you, um, that you've taken 
inspiration from? I think that I haven't had any necessary direct or formal mentoring. Um, I think that that there was quite a, a pivotal stage in my career where you right. I think that there was quite a pivotal stage in my career where I sort of felt very um, much let down by HR, um, thinking that the big corporates that I was working for would support me in my career journey and and focus a lot on learning and development and training and things like that and, and feeling like I wasn't quite getting those opportunities and all of a sudden realizing I had to be my own cheerleader and I had to seek out that guidance, uh, those those learning opportunities and that ability to to build on those soft skills to be able to further myself in my career. And so I very much took the mentoring pathway as um, as uh, a journey for me to seek out those that could help me with it. And so I, I sought out uh, Mick Todd, who's a, a business and a life coach, who helped me establish my business. Um, I, I've done a lot of online programs with uh, the likes of Marie Forleo, who I also see as sort of an informal mentor. Um, and, and right now I have a, a therapist, somebody that I, I work with in order to maintain my mental health and, and my viewpoints and make sure that I'm giving myself that self-care that I deserve. And so I think those people have all mentored me in different ways. Have I had to pay for it? Yes, absolutely. Um, but I think it's given me what I need. And so I think being able to think outside of the box about mentors is, is really, really important because often we can, we can often visualize and, and become too, uh, sort of, uh, like a, you know, um, blinded, uh, horse blind, have horse blinders on us when we look at mentors and think that they're just going to pluck us out of the sky and say, I will help you. Therefore, you will be helped. You know, we have to do it ourselves. You believe in investing in yourself. Oh, 100%. Lifelong learning and, and you know, we can very easily sit there and say we're going to have the latest Hollywood facial that will cost us 10,000 dirhams. But you ask someone to spend 10,000 dirhams on uh, a program or on, um, um, you know, mental health sessions, be that uh, counseling or um, mindfulness or, or therapy of any form. And often people will, will be very hesitant to do it. <laughs> From all the courses and the investments that you've made in improving yourself, which one has particularly stood out most for you? Uh, it's the one that I'm still um, in the middle of at the minute, and that's studying at Oxford at the Saeed Business School. Um, I, I took a leap of faith and, and made an investment in myself and my future because I, I love, as I said, lifelong learning. And I also deeply respect the, the big academic institutions that we have for the research and, and for the think tanks and for the um, you know incredible ways in which they influence who we are as, as a people, be that a business or, or or economics or any of the other industries that we have. And I had a course that sort of um, uh, my husband came across, recommended that I apply for it. Didn't think in a million years that I would get into Oxford. I've always been a bit of a B, C grade student, but always an A for effort. I always tried my little heart out. And I put all my applications through and, and I was accepted. And so I'm halfway through a graduate diploma in global business, which is like a pre uh, MBA, but um, it's it's been just incredible. I can't wait to to get back there in October for my final module. I've got a, a final assessment and sort of like a mini thesis to to make, um, and and you know get my head stuck into towards the end of this year. And I'm just so excited for the challenge. Excellent. How long will this take you? Um, so I've got a hand in everything by the end of January uh, mm -hmm. 2020, and then graduate hopefully. Um, in November of 2020. So yeah, it's been a year and year in the making. Still got about five months to go, and then a full uh, over a year's time until I graduate. So yeah. 
Anna, last question, because mm. we've been chatting for 40, over 40 years. Oh, dear. Okay. <laughs> what piece of advice would you give to any 18-year-old or 20-year-old listening to this that has a whole life ahead of them? <gasps> So I actually speak to a lot of uh, a lot of 18 and 20 year olds because I do a lot of work with high schools and, and with universities here. If I had one piece of advice to give to um, anyone who is at that transitional um, point in their lives, going through university or into their first jobs, to be very blunt, it would be to get over yourself. Nobody is concerned about how you look. Nobody is thinking about what your voice sounds like or, uh, you know, what it is that you, uh, you know, had for breakfast or all of the little mindless, um, uh, things that you could be worrying about. And, and if you are pursuing anything or thinking about pursuing something, be that a, a line of study or a, a pivot in your career, just get over yourself and just do it because life is short and we're all put here for a reason to, to be able to share our special gifts with the world. As, as one of my informal mentors said, uh, Marie Forleo, the world needs that special gift that only you have. And I'm very much a believer in that. Um, and at the age of, of 18, 20, you're at that pivotal moment where I think you're sort of full of courage from growing up, but you're not at that stage where the world has really broken you down from being in that professional workforce. And just make sure that you focus on yourself and your pursuits because everybody else is just thinking about themselves. They're not thinking about you. So just get over yourself. It's interesting. Thank you. That was great advice. <laughs> it's interesting because I'm just thinking back to when I was younger and mm -hmm. I would get so upset if somebody didn't like me or if someone questioned, you know, and I would and take it personally. We're fed it but, by the media. But also on the other side of the coin, in terms of taking risk, I was so much less fearful. You know, I remember when I bought my properties in the UK, I just felt right bang, bang, bang. And like literally, I just bought five properties in the space Amazing. in a, in a yeah. short space of time. Didn't even think about it, really. Um, whereas now I think I'd be so much more fearful. I think as time goes on and you maybe get your fingers burnt in certain investments yeah. and yeah. it just makes you so much more reticent. So being young, it's kind of like... In many ways, it's like a double-edged sword. It you is know? completely. And and for a lot of my teenage years, you know, I loved consuming media and magazines, uh, but but to a lot of the detriment of my mental health. You know, those headlines that you see about uh, ten steps to to win your dream guy, or how how to get your boyfriend, or you know, twelve uh, weeks to your bikini body, and all of these types of messages that we were just you know ingrained with as as youth. Uh, was so damaging to, to keeping you inside your box and, and especially us and, and the sort of hardcore 